Well, today we're going to continue our series through the book of Acts. Hopefully everyone listened and watched Pastor Jesse's message last week. So good. He was in chapter 20. There was a scripture that he spoke from or or that he read last week. Uh, I wasn't here. I was uh, over in Nine Mile Falls. Mary and I were doing a retreat for Pastor Wayne's leadership team, and that was a lot of fun. And then we led worship and preached over at Journey Church. But I, I listened to his message, and there was one verse that really caught my attention. And so I want to read it to you. It's verses 22 and 23. This is Paul. He, he says, Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now, I tell you, this one really got me thinking. Because Paul is compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. Anybody been there before? Where the Lord asks you to go somewhere or do something and you don't know what's going to happen? Anybody, hopefully everyone in this room, if we know everything that's going to happen, that is not faith, by the way, right? We're coming and saying, God, you asked me to go here, not knowing what's going to happen. But if you say go, I go. But then isn't that interesting? He's been walking long enough with the Holy Spirit that he's noticed the pattern. And what is the pattern? That in every city, the Holy Spirit warns him that something hard is going to happen. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's probably going to be hard. That caught my attention. Because I don't know about you, but I, I kind of feel like that might be a tad bit contrary to the popular, familiar teachings that we're currently hearing in the modern church. Not many preachers or pastors on YouTube are going to tell you that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into a situation where hard things will happen. You're just not going to hear that sermon. In fact, we don't even talk like that. I've noticed it's quite the opposite. So much so that when we do walk into something hard, when trials do come, actually, what do we do? We actually go, what is that? Like, what and, and how and why and, and how could a loving God walk me? You know, da, 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 you know, just fill in the blank, whatever you got going on. We, we've convinced ourselves that if we're truly following Jesus, like if, if I'm walking hard with the Lord, then it's only blue skies and butterflies. Right? I mean, I do this. We still get shocked. We still get surprised when hard things happen. Even though Scripture literally tells us in First Peter, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. And yet, we all do it. You don't have to raise your hands on this one. I'll just say it for you. We also all kind of get a little grumpy with God. Have you noticed that one? Kind of like, well, Lord, I mean, don't you see what I'm doing down here? Like, I'm giving you temper. I'm giving you 20%. Like, have you seen my Sunday morning attendance lately? I mean, even that senior citizen, I helped her across the street. Do you see all I'm doing? And this is what I get in return. It's easy to have that attitude, isn't it? I'll tell you one of the great things that the Lord has placed in my life that has just challenged that attitude head on. It's our amazing pastors and our amazing churches in Ghana, West Africa. We have around 12, 13, I think 13, is it? 13 LifeSpring churches in Ghana. And and they've been through a lot lately. Just three weeks ago, you guys heard the story. uh, One of our senior pastors passed away. He was my age. He wasn't feeling good on a Sunday morning. He asked if he could lay down for 30 minutes. He never got back up. 
just this week, the, the first church that we planted back in 2014, Reverend Ray Wright planted that church in 2014 with Maxwell Twinifor. Uh, just this week, they were robbed, and all of their chairs were stolen, all of their equipment, instruments, soundboard, all those things were stolen. But I, I noticed that where I would be tempted to say, you know, like, just why God, and, and where are you, God? You want to hear their responses? <laughs> Reverend Charles Morris Again, I'm talking about the passing of Pastor Benjamin, which is very, very tragic news, of course. But his response to me was simply, Pastor, God knows best. Man, I don't even know if I could say that. But here he is saying, God knows best. Reverend Kessie, the, the pastor of the church that was robbed, I, I'm telling him like how awful this is. And I can't believe they took everything. And he simply writes, Pastor, we will never let this thing Stop us. Excuse me, goosebumps reading that, right? Their experiences, their responses of this great faith. And it has deeply impacted me. And I would say it actually sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. It sounds like something Paul would say. Again, it's an attitude, a posture that says, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's compelling me to go to Jerusalem. And if it's like all the other places he led me to go, it's probably going to lead me to prison, at least some kind of hardship. But look at the very next words of Paul. If we can put those up on the screen. He says... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, Paul says, is to finish the race. My only aim is to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Just leave it up on the screen. Let that one soak in for a moment, life spring. So powerful to me. My only aim is to finish the race. Complete the task that the Lord has given to me. What, what we could accomplish as individuals, but also what we could accomplish as the body of Christ, as a gathered church, what we could do with that kind of faith, right? With that kind of intentionality, not just to run our race, but to finish the race. To complete the task. Makes me think of what the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 12. You've heard it before. But he says what? He goes, you've got to throw off everything. That hinders. You got to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And instead, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Church, that we would run our race. Run your race, even when it gets hard. Not being shocked, not being surprised when trials come, but instead, by faith, with faith and perseverance, push forward with our eyes on Jesus, moving forward to do all that he has called us to do. Yeah, amen. You've got to love Paul. He endures so much for Jesus. My wife and I were just talking about that in the car yesterday. So encouraged by his life. Thankful that his life is in Scripture. But he is all in. Have you noticed? Like, he is all in. As you read his letters, there's this man. He's been radically changed by Jesus. In the reading plan, some of you have been writing that. We make daily comments. And many of you have been talking about this radical transformation. The, the, this transformation that goes from the greatest persecutor of the church, where he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. Like, I'm the worst sinner. And yet he goes from that guy to 
instead being one of the greatest evangelists we've ever known. He's debating in synagogues, getting beat up for the gospel, planting churches, raising up young leaders. He's a man who's pastoring people through conflict and pastoring people through sinful behaviors. He's a man who is laying it all down on the line to finish the task that the Lord has given to him. And again, in that reading plan, we were in 2 Corinthians uh, earlier in the week. Now we're in Galatians. I'd encourage you to get online, go to our website, sign up. We'd love for you to do that with us. Let's read the Bible together. But in Acts 21, that theme, it's carried on. In Acts 21, he's still making his way to Jerusalem. He and his companions, they're traveling the seas. They make several stops. They finally get to this city called Tyre. And in Tyre, they have to unload the cargo from the ship. And this is what verse 4 tells us, that they sought out the disciples that were there, and they stayed with them seven days. Now, through the Spirit, these disciples urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And yet the very next verse tells us that they continued on their way. Now they make several more stops. They're in Ptolemaeus, and then they get to Caesarea. Now in Caesarea, verse 8 tells us that they stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist. Uh, Philip the Evangelist. Now Philip was one of the seven. One of the seven. Does that ring a bell at all? One of the seven. You're now, man, this is like months ago for us, but years ago for them. We're now going back to Acts chapter 6. This would be over 20 years earlier. The disciples, you remember this? They chose seven men. Who is the other guy? He starts with an S. Do you remember one of the seven? Stephen. Yeah, that's right. Stephen. And they asked, they called these men, chose these men full of the spirit, full of wisdom. And they were to help take care of the widows, help with the distribution of food to the poor. But I was reading it this week, and I I hope you hear me on this one. It was so encouraging for me to hear that after all these years, like over two decades, that this man, Philip, is still sharing the good news of Jesus. Isn't that encouraging? Like, don't don't you just want that to be said of you? (laughs) Like, I'm 42. I just had a birthday. Happy birthday, Dan. But I'm 42. I would love to think that when I'm 62, I will be going as strong as ever in the good news and preaching the good news of Jesus. But then read this. He says that he had four daughters who prophesied. And that kind of got me thinking, not only is he following the Lord, but also are his daughters. Now, I take this one to heart because since 1999, for a while now, I've been serving and playing my part in the local church, whether it be Maple Valley or Auburn or Laramie, Wyoming. Spokane, Washington, Edgewood, now Federal Way. I've devoted my life to sharing the good news of Jesus. But as much as I love what I get to do, for those of you that know me, my greatest ministry by far, my greatest passion are my kids. It's to raise children who not only know the Lord, but who are willing to tell others about the Lord. In fact, don't say this to her, but it was so powerful. We were singing that song, Solid Rock Christ Jesus, and my little Addie, nine-year-old Addie, You could just see the Lord stirring within her, and she stood up for that last verse. Praise the Lord. Praise God that she's hearing from her Father, her Heavenly Father. She wants to sing to her Maker, to her Creator. But if you know me, I don't want just kids that know Jesus. I want kids who know Jesus but also want to tell other people about Jesus. Because that's the idea, church, is that we're disciples who make disciples And so I'm proud of my 20-year-old Trevin. He's over in Spokane. He's a youth leader. He's a middle school youth leader. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? (laughs) He's over there. I'm proud of him. He he calls me at like 1230 in the morning. You never want your 20-year-old to call you at 1230 in the morning. Like, oh, man, what? and Trevin's crazy. So it's like, what did Trevin do? 
Trevin called me because he was so moved and overwhelmed. He had just spent hours ministering to some people living on the streets of Spokane. And the Lord moved in a powerful way through his life. And he wanted to talk to his dad about it at 1230 in the morning. Or on a, I think on a weekly basis, we're commissioning our daughters, Ava and Addie, to go into their schools, into the public school system, and to share Jesus with their friends. Now, none of them are perfect, because I'm their dad, right? <laughs> They're very human, just like me. We're messy. In fact, all of us, including me, still grumble and complain when it's bedtime. Like, none of us want to go to bed. We're just the worst at sleeping, and we don't sleep in our own beds. We're all out on the couch. Like, we just have some issues. <laughs> but I'm so proud of their passion for Jesus, but also their passion for everyone around them to know Jesus. If you're a parent here today, and you have little ones, and many of you do here, you have little ones, I just want to encourage you in this. Nothing matters more than their relationship with the Lord. I've been doing this long enough to see that parents so often major in the wrong things. The amount of energy, money, great lengths that parents go to make sure kids have good grades or are good athletes or making sure they have a clean bedroom or picking up their toys or being nice to their sibling. I mean, yeah, those are good things, but none of that matters compared to them having a personal relationship with Jesus. Like, think of it this way. I don't want my kids to swear. Like, I don't want them to use those words, you know, the four-letter words. I think that is a very silly use of oxygen, and I think there are better, more intelligent ways to use your vocal cords. I just believe that. But if you're in my house, you'll notice I do not spend almost any time making sure my kids don't swear. That's not my heart. That's not my passion. My passion is for my kids to love God. My passion is for my kids to love his presence, to know, but also to hear from the Holy Spirit where he can speak to their hearts, whatever he might speak. The same things he spoke to me that just was like, hey, my son, whom I love, I have powerful, beautiful words I want to give to you. I want to give you life-giving words. I want to give you encouraging words that are going to build up instead of tear down. See, that's what I want for my kids, for them to be familiar with the voice of God, to know the Lord. Trevin, he's 20 years old. He's living on his own. When he is facing all that a 20-year-old man is going to face, and in 2022, are you kidding me? What a 20-year-old has to face in 2022. I'm just telling you, church, I don't want him to hear my voice. I want him to hear the voice of his heavenly Father. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you can't force that on them, right? We all know, if you've been a parent, you know it. Like so many kids, radically different. And each one has to make that personal choice. You got to make that choice to walk with God on your own. But what you can do, again, if you're a parent of little kids, you know, Braden, I hope you're listening. I just, I hope we're listening today. What you can do is you can make sure your home, your house, your apartment, whatever it is, you can make sure it's a peace-filled, joy-filled, love-filled, grace-filled place full of the Lord's presence. For what, 18, 19, 20 years? I don't know. But you're going to get this opportunity for them to see and to taste that the Lord is good. Not somewhere out there, right? But right here in your home. Make sure your home is a safe place for them to experience the life-changing presence of God. Amen? Amen. So Paul, he meets the evangelist. He's got these four amazing prophesying daughters. Let's read what happens next. Verse 10. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. Just, you got to get the visual here, church. 
He gets Paul's belt. He ties his own hands and feet with it. Like, how do you even do that? And then he says, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, Luke is writing this. He goes, when we heard this, we and all the people there, we pleaded with Paul. Hey, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul answers, hey, he says, why are you weeping? Why are you breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He's pretty convinced, isn't he? When he would not be dissuaded, Luke says, we gave up. And we said, the Lord's will be done. And after this, verse 15, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Do you see Paul's passion for the Lord? I mean, he's committed He's committed to doing what the Lord is asking him to do, even as those closest to him. I mean, they love him. I mean, they love God and they love him. And even as they're pleading with him, using belts, right? Like even if they're pleading, don't do it, don't do it. He has such a passion to do the Father's will, a passion to do the Father's will. Church, who does that remind you of? Who reminds you to do a passion for his Father's will? Who does that remind you of? Jesus. During Jesus' early ministry, his mind is set on going to Jerusalem. The same author, right? He wrote a two-volume work called Luke and Acts. Luke wrote Acts, but he also wrote Luke. And look what he says in Luke chapter 9. He says that Jesus was determined. Jesus had his face set to go to Jerusalem, to do his Father's will, even though he knew what it meant for his life. And now Paul, his apostle, is doing the same thing. He's going to complete the task. He's going to do the Father's will in his life. Well, that's pretty powerful. And as I'm speaking, I hope that challenges us just a little bit in regards to your life. Your life. Because Scripture, by the way, isn't telling you that you need to go to Jerusalem and get arrested in Jerusalem. That's probably not God's call on your life. But I hope it at least gets you thinking. Right? Just a little bit at least. Well, what am I called to? What am I called to. In your context, again, a life that only you can live. What does your race look like? As you head into the fall, as the Huskies go undefeated, <laughs> where is he asking you to go? What is he asking you to say? What is he asking you to do? What does it look like to finish your race, to complete the task? It's such an important season. I believe this. 2022. Man, consider the cost, church. Consider and count the cost of what it means to follow the Lord. Again, your pastor can't do this for you. Your spouse can't do this for you. Your best friend can't do this for you. Those motivational speakers on YouTube and Facebook, they can't do this for you. Only you can make the decision, the intentional decision, that I'm going to listen to the Lord and I'm going to be faithful to do what he's asking me to do, even when I know that it might lead me into something that's difficult or hard. And by the way, life is hard, and then it gets harder. I remember one time a lady was like, I just hate it every time you say that. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. Life is hard. (laughs) And then it gets harder. The church in this world, yeah, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. See, as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of doing hard things. I just got to say that again. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid of doing hard things. Church, do hard things. Hard things are not the enemy. 
Just remember, you are right now being trained and conditioned and raised in a culture and a society that is seemingly doing everything it can to stay away from anything that is hard. We are addicted to comfort. We are addicted to convenience. We are addicted to instant gratification. We don't even want to get into the car to get our own food. Like we're paying strangers to make it for us. And then we want another stranger to drive it to us. <laughs> and some of you just cheered. <laughs> but there are worthwhile things, hear me out, that God is calling you to do. And it's going to take some effort. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. A great example of this is Joe and Tara Henderson in the back. They have a calling on their life, right? We all know this. But it's one thing to be called. It's a whole other thing to put in the work to walk out the calling, to endure and to persevere in the faith by the way when no one else is looking and no one else is watching. I'm so proud of them. And it's already bearing fruit. Like every family, I feel like every person in this room could give a testimony of how this family has influenced their life. But church, if you talk to him, they'd be honest. It hasn't been easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. I think about so many of you, you're going through a conflict right now. And I mentioned it during worship, but I've had these meetings, these phone calls, these conversations with you. You're having issues with extended family. You're having trials and tribulations and it involves your family and family stuff is, man, that's the roughest, right? But you're walking it out. You're walking out the assignment that the Lord has for you. You're, you're trying your best to love them, to serve them. You're doing your best to love them with the love of Christ. And you're showing up to family gatherings because what? The Lord asks you to show up. So you're showing up. Even though, again, you're walking into some pretty tough and even, I would say, messy situations. Anyone have some messy family situations? And here's the deal. It's not that God caused the mess. But have you noticed how often God likes to call you into the mess? Right? I'm not saying that God caused the mess. But like he, I, mean, I don't even, I, I question him all the time. I was like, but God, do you see how messy this is? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I do. And that's where you're going. <laughs> but isn't it good? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm going to fit you perfectly with the armor of God, full of my presence, full of my light, and full of my love. You're going to walk into the mess. One of you, I was just praying with you, you needed some counsel, some wisdom, uh, really just some prayer. You were getting on a plane, you were flying into, again, a difficult family situation. But even though you knew it was going to be challenging and hard, I just heard it in your voice. There was this resolve, just this resolve, like standing on the solid rock, Christ Jesus, this resolve to do what he was asking you to do. And you wanted to get off that plane and come into that situation full of the Spirit with the attitude of Christ, ready to let your light shine. Some of you, it hasn't been with family lately. It's actually been your job, right? Some of you, your job. Coworkers can be mean. Bosses can be demanding. Customers can be rude. <laughs> if you're a teacher, kids can be crazy. <laughs> and yet you're following the Lord. Some of you wake up way too early. But you're getting up at four in the morning. You're getting your car, you're getting that cup of coffee and the good podcast, and you're driving into the mess, not even because you want to, but you're driving into it because you know that God has called you there. Grace Nagy, I want to talk about you for just a second. I promise you it's all good. See, Grace, she was working at a job for a while. Grace and I, we, we meet every uh, once a month, and she was working in a job. It was pretty tough. It was 
telephone customer service. <laughs> right? <laughs> like even me, when I'm talking to someone on customer service, I, you know, something wrong happened, and now I'm talking to you about something that's wrong. And that was her job. And she was there for several years because the Lord called her to be there. Now, I am so happy that she now has a new job. <laughs> Hallelujah, she says. But, Grace, that made such an impression on me because I'm her pastor, but I'm also her friend. And when Grace would tell me about her job as her friend, can you guess my reaction? It was probably a lot like Paul's friends and how they reacted. Get out of there. Like, what are you doing? Don't go to Jerusalem. Yeah, quit. Like, yeah, like, we'll help you out. Like, just, yeah. And yet Grace, I mean, more than once, again and again, she would say, but Pastor Dan, the Lord hasn't released me yet. She was faithful to stay there until the Lord let her move on. A lot of you are in very similar situations right now, right? You know, the only reason you're at your job is because you know that the Lord has called you there. In my own life, pastors are quitting left and right. And I am now convinced there are easier, less painful ways to make a living. (laughs) But I'm here because the Lord gave me an assignment. And he hasn't released me yet. So I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to complete the task the Lord has given to me. Yeah, amen. But what about you? Like, what about you? Consider your life, your life that is so valuable to the Lord, your life that is precious to the Lord, your life. Consider your life with your family, with your work, but just every aspect of your life. Consider your life. Are you committed to following the Lord? Are you committed to listening and to hearing and obeying the Holy Spirit, even when things get a little challenging and even when things get hard or messy? I want to finish with this. And this is probably the most important part of today's message. As you run your race, and I just love the songs we are singing today, because as you run your race, you are not alone. The Lord is with you. And like he did for Paul, the Lord is going to do for you. He will help you. He will help you. He will help you. Paul faced so much as an apostle. Again, he's a man who was always in danger. Second Corinthians 11, we read this again earlier in the week. He gives this long list, and you can read it, this long list of horrific things that he faced as an apostle. Like a long list, like, wow, I guess uh, compared to Paul, I don't got much going on in my life. Like, it's just epically awful. And yet, he has this confidence in the Lord that he's not alone, but also that the Lord is going to help him along the way. He is so confident that the Lord is going to give him what he needs to finish the task. And so he brings people into his life. Aren't you thankful for the people that the Lord has brought into your life that you don't have to do it alone? That he brings people in just at at the right time to encourage you, to pray for you, to build you up. But he also comes in by the power of his Holy Spirit. And Paul's confident of this. He's so confident that he even says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Again, so confident that the Lord's never going to send you out ill-equipped. He's never going to send you out unprepared. He, he is so confident. And I want to encourage you, church, be confident in the Lord. You can be confident in the Lord. Yeah, there's a lot of things right now that feel shaky. There's a lot of things that seem to be going up and down. I mean, have you looked at the stock market lately? I mean, I get it. But there's one thing that you can be confident in is that the Lord will always give you what you need to finish the race that he has set out for you to run. 
I love what Paul, or actually Peter says. This is one of the first verses I memorized. Second Peter 1, 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything. What? Everything we need for a godly life. Do you believe that, church? You have everything you need. If you had a fanny pack and you had to have all the right things in the fanny pack, your fanny pack is perfectly fitted with everything you need to live your life for the Lord. Some of you just go out and buy a fanny pack this week just to remind yourself you are not lacking in Jesus. Even when it gets hard, you can do this. Remember Catherine C.? I love Catherine C. I was at the fair this week and I saw the quilts and I was just thinking, oh man, how much I miss Catherine and her amazing quilts and how I long to see her again. But with Catherine, like she could always tell when I was struggling and she'd say, she'd actually call me young man. Anyone else called young man by Catherine C? She said, young man, if the Lord sees you to it, the Lord will see you through it. If the Lord sees you to it, the Lord will see you through it. Life spring, even when you feel weak. It's right there that the Lord's going to give you what you need, the help that you need. He's going to see you through it, even when you feel weak. By the way, do you know who felt really weak? The Apostle Paul. Again, we read it this week, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. He talks about this thorn in the flesh. He's pleading with the Lord, Lord, take it away. He pleads three times. And yet we all know the answer that Jesus gave him. What does Jesus say? He says, let's say it together. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Right? It's okay To say you're not feeling that strong today. It's okay to even say, you know what, I'm feeling weak today. Because right there in your weakness is where the lover of your soul, the one who died on the cross for your sins, who rose from the grave to give you eternal life, he speaks to you and he says, yeah, but son, daughter, right there. Oh, how I love you and my grace is sufficient for you. For you see, my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul hears those powerful, precious words from his Savior. And so Paul says, well, then I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults and hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, I don't know what you're going through today, but in Jesus, church, you are strong. I don't know what insults, hardships, difficulties you're facing, but again, in Jesus, where you feel weak, you are strong. Be confident today. I was practicing this just this week. I can be confident in the Lord. I'm confident the Lord is with me. He's going to give me everything I need to do all he has called me to do. And that ain't just a Pastor Dan thing. That's a disciple of Jesus thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. You can trust in the Lord today and he will help you finish the race and complete the task. I want to invite the worship team back up. And I want to pray for you. Because we know this to be true. We've all done this before. You ever try to do life on your own without the help of the Lord? You ever try to go into a family gathering like a Thanksgiving meal without the Lord's help? I mean, we make a mess of it, right? You ever go to work where you're like, forget you, Lord, and not 
oh man, like the first person there is just going to get it from you. You ever done that to somebody? Don't even try to drive on Interstate 5 without the Lord. (laughs) Right? I mean, life on our own, it never works. It never works. We've all tried it. It never works. But in Jesus, with Jesus, like the Apostle Paul even declares, church, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We can do this. We can finish the race. We complete the task. So I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much that you're here, that you're moving. We really do need you in a way that's way beyond a religious-sounding prayer. We need your presence. We need your help. We need your power. Many of us feel weak, and so we want to be strong in you, through you. So even now, as we close this service, Lord, would you fill us again? Fill us afresh. You've been so faithful to do that for me this week. I'm even standing. I don't even know how I'm standing here in many ways, but I'm standing here because you've just done a miracle in my life. It's so much more about you than anything I've done. Just it's you. It's you. It's you. And so would you continue to permeate this thing we call LifeSpring Foursquare, but also permeate our families, our marriages, our parenting, our careers, even our driving. (laughs) Just permeate it all with your presence. Help us. Give us what we need to do what you've called us to do. As Paul was resolute to finish his assignment, Lord, I'm resolute. We are resolute. We make that commitment again to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.